Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Peter Axelrad and William Flood III from the law firm of Counsel, Baradell, Cosmerl, and Nolan in Annapolis, Maryland. Peter has been in practice since 1965 and is a director of the firm. His practice areas include civil trial litigation, appellate practice, libel and slander, insurance law, and professional responsibility. William Flood is also a director of the firm with practice areas in insurance defense law, accident and personal injury law, motor vehicle litigation, and insurance coverage law. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Now, today's podcast centers on a recent law change in Maryland with respect to an insured's ability to bring action against its insurer for failing to act in good faith. And Brendan Noonan will lead off today with our first question. Peter, tell us about this legislation. Well, we passed a law here in Maryland, and, and it became in effect uh, last year, October 1, so it's only been in effect for a few months. The significance of this law in the insurance world is that there's a new cause of action created as a matter of law, which an insured may proceed against its insurance company or his insurance or her insurance company and may be able to pursue certain proceedings in administrative actions before the Maryland Insurance Administration. This changes the rules and allows our Maryland Insurance Administration and the administrative process to allow them on the request of a insured, a homeowner, a driver, anybody with insurance, this permits this insurance administration, this is where the shocking changes, it allows them to make coverage determinations and decide the fair value of claims. So what this means in our world is that first party claims, property damage, uninsured claims, underinsured claims, are now subject to the Maryland administrative proceedings. In the old days, prior October 1, the average person who had this kind of a claim or gripe against their carrier would have to proceed in a courtroom, file a lawsuit against them, file a claim for declaratory judgment. Now, everything has changed effective October 1, and Bill, my partner and I, were, we hope that all the insurance companies out there who do things here in Maryland are well aware of this uh, new change. Bill, uh, this ties back to the State Farm versus White case, which goes back some 40 years. Who pushed for this change now? Well, even though that case was before my time, I just want you to know that case was decided the year Peter was admitted to practice uh, law in 1965. I, of course, am much younger. (laughs) But seriously, the legislature, obviously, there was a groundswell that began some years ago. And various lobbying groups, including, uh, but not limited to, the Maryland Trial Lawyers Association, not surprisingly, had lobbied for this type of legislation. Because in addition to what Peter told you, prior to this statute, a policyholder, even if he prevailed or she prevailed against their insurance company in a claim, for instance, for uninsured or underinsured motorist benefits, would strictly be limited to the amount of coverage available under the policy. That would be the top dollar they would get. This new legislation allows the insurance administration to levy significant monetary penalties against insurance companies if they find that they have failed to act in good faith. So 
this is the reason, to go back to who pushed for this, this is one of the reasons the Maryland Trial Lawyers Association was so active in trying to champion the cause of getting this legislation passed. And uh, about four years or five years ago, we had an event here called Hurricane Isabel, which resulted in catastrophic property damage across the eastern part and even into western parts of the state. And there was a perception amongst policyholders that many of them felt they weren't being dealt with fairly in regard to the way their insurance companies were handling those property damage claims. And it is my belief and the belief of other attorneys that I've spoken with that the Isabel event gave further impetus to this movement to get this legislation passed, and ultimately, of course, it has come to pass. Now, Peter, the the Maryland Defense Council has some concerns about this, and they've created their own uh, task force to address some of these issues. Is that a rare move? No, uh, you're correct. There is a group of lawyers, basically uh, trial lawyers here in Maryland, and I'm sure there are a lot of these kind of groups in other states, but akin to what Bill just told you, that the trial lawyers, the plaintiff's bar is organized, well, as you can suspect, so is the defense bar. And there is a group here in Maryland, the Maryland Defense Council, who meet, discuss, communicate about things lawyers defending cases, in particular for insurance companies, are interested in in doing. And we do a lot of work, and there are task forces created from time to time. First, I'll tell you that there's one has been created for this situation, this new law, and these people are going to be monitoring, the committee will be monitoring what's going on within the Maryland Insurance Administration to identify patterns and issues of things that everybody else needs to be aware of, to evaluate and to protect themselves. But this is not the first time. There are a lot of things that you can imagine that the defense groups and the defense bar would be interested in working on and communicating with. Here in Maryland, we are one of the very, very few states that still has the rule of comparative negligence. This means that in a lawsuit in a courtroom, usually, of course, in front of jury trials, that a plaintiff who is held to be contributorily negligent is barred from success. Even though the defendant is negligent, in many states, you have what is called comparative negligence. You know, the plaintiff is only 35% legally or factually liable for anything that happens, say, in an accident. So he or she gets their award reduced to the extent of the percentage level of the their share in the the wrong but uh, we don't have it it's a bar i mean theoretically you can ask a judge to give an instruction in maryland including in federal court because the federal courts apply this kind of a rule from state court if you the jury find that in any way the plaintiff has contributed and is partially responsible for the accident that question if answered in the affirmative ends the case so it's a very significant thing. So you can imagine that the Trial Lawyers Association that Bill referred to is very interested in changing it because they've seen a lot of plaintiff's cases lost when a jury's found, even if the defendant is negligent, that their client loses. So they're trying to change it, and the defense group is trying, has tried, and so far has succeeded in assisting and preventing any changes. This is the kind of thing that... Uh, defense lawyers and defense trial lawyers are interested in working on it. It will be very interesting to see what the results of the preliminary survey is or are on this, this new law we've been talking about. 
Okay, uh, Bill, can you address the distinction between failure to act in good faith and bad faith? <laughs> well, bad faith, as defined in the State Farm versus White case, again, the seminal case, and I was wrong, Peter, it wasn't 65, it was 67. I, I misspoke that that case was decided uh, in this state. Is the case that deals with insurance companies' failure to essentially protect their insured a failure to do what should have been done based upon the facts of a particular case to protect the financial interests of their own insured. And there are a number of factors that are outlined in State Farm versus White that a court or jury will need to look at to determine if it has been established that an insurance company has failed or has acted in bad faith and thereby exposed, ultimately, they're insured to a verdict in excess of the insurance coverage available under the policy, and typically that is called a third-party claim, whereby the plaintiff who obtains the judgment against the unfortunate insured who now has a verdict in excess of their coverage takes up the cause of that insured and goes against the insurance company in a use case in an effort to have a judge or jury decide that the insurance company had or has acted in bad faith and therefore has to pay the excess amount of the judgment above and beyond their insurance coverage. Now, the failure to act in good faith, whereas the bad faith case is, if you will, the failure of the insurance company to protect their insured, the failure to act in good faith case involves the insurance company's failure to pay their insured when the facts dictate that they should have. And there are a number of factors in the bad faith cases that undoubtedly will come into play in the failure to act in good faith cases because although they're different names, they involve the same types of activity on the part of the insurance company. The statute talks about the insurance company in the failure to act in good faith claims need to demonstrate that they have exercised informed judgment based on honesty and diligence supported by evidence that the insurer knew or should have known certain things at the time the insurer made a particular decision in regard to payment or non-payment of a claim. And, and of course, the failure to act in good faith is subject to the administrative process as well as an appeal to the judicial process. So essentially, that's the difference is protection versus failure to pay with some of the factors in the bad faith case analysis undoubtedly will be applied to the failure to act in good faith cases. Now, Peter, any thoughts or predictions on how this will all play out in Maryland? Well, that's very interesting. you got to feel from Bill Flood about, you know, the differential, the new standard, and one can suspect that with the empowerment of the uh, Maryland Insurance Administration to proceed in these you know, first-party claims, that more and more people than ever before. And of course, there wasn't a law before. You'd have to prove bad faith and things like that in, in, in the recent past. The suspicion, I feel, is that there are going to be claims here. There are going to be more and more people. Maybe they won't even, sometimes won't feel the need to have lawyers, or maybe they're going to make it a lawyer's relief act and proceed. The insurance companies will need to be very careful, as you heard from Bill Flood, as to what the standards are now. 
the failure to act in good faith. So I think it's going to mean more lawyers' work, which lawyers may not complain about at all. There are going to be a lot of issues about how to evaluate things, the money involved, the power of the Maryland Insurance Administration, issues of privileged matters. Are the old rules of discovery, of exchange of materials going to apply? This is really virgin territory. Uh, This is a new kind of thing. There's a lot of uh, rules in the statute. All I can suspect, there's going to be events. Something's going to happen. You know, you're going to have people marching into the administration and and raise issues. And I hope that they're going to have uh, very qualified people. We have a whole series, and I guess they have them. They're akin to federal administrative law judges. We have a whole series of people here who are lawyers and who've been appointed administrative law judges. And they hear these kind of cases and appeals from the system within government stuff like government claims within the Maryland contract boards and things like that and they're going to they're going to have more work here because people are going to feel they have an opportunity to make a claim the insurance company didn't do this for us or didn't do that for us and I think Bill Flood is right and I think that Isabel in September 03, and, you know, if this happened, uh, would happen again, God forbid, these are people are going to be marching right into the um, insurance administration with their, with their claims. So it may be a lot of volume. It may have a severe impact on the ability of the administration to manage these kind of claims, if there are a lot. Hopefully there won't be too many, but they could get very backlogged with their work. But it's something that we're going to have to wait and see. And as I, I've, as I said before, that's why the defense council has set up this committee, and we'll be able to learn a lot of stuff from the people who are going to do some yeoman's work and you know going to the proceedings or checking on things and keeping us posted. Okay, uh, Bill, is this being watched closely in other states? Well, you know, honestly, I haven't. It, it's so new, and I certainly no lawyers in other states, and I really haven't taken a straw poll on that issue yet. I cannot imagine that it will not be watched closely, particularly by other trial lawyers associations, to see ultimately what effect this has on the way claims are handled either through settlement or ultimately administrative or judicial disposition. So I would certainly be willing to bet that other folks are watching in other jurisdictions are going to be watching uh, the state of Maryland pretty closely on this. Uh, Haven't gotten any particular feedback in that regard. If and when I do, I'll be happy to get back to you. Well, thank you very much, Peter and Bill, for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking us. Thank you for having us. We've just spoken with Peter Axelrad and William Flood from the law firm of Counsel Baradell, Cosmeral, Nolan in Annapolis, Maryland. Thanks also to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. And if you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. 
Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year-long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 